This episode of Home Truths was sponsored by Heels, design that lasts a lifetime. I always knew when I sat down, I was going to have that like bit of insecurity creep up and tell me that I can't do it. And I won't, you know, it's not going to, nobody's going to read this. You have nothing to say. Like, although, you know, I really did have a lot of insecurity around um, so much of what I was doing. This is Home Truths, a show about the fascinating stories behind some of the most iconic pieces, movements and moments of modern design, revealed by the designers themselves. I'm Pip McCormack, and on the show today, how Athena Calderon took her talent for curation, art direction, designing, cooking and photography, and turned it into a multifaceted career that has seen her feature on the Living Etc. cover, not once, but twice. It's hard to describe Athena Calderon's career. You could call her an influencer, the hundreds of thousands of followers on her Instagram are certainly inspired by her aesthetic. You could call her a designer, for she puts homes together to great effect, though it's not a full-time job. She's definitely an author, now with two books under her belt, and a podcast host as her new show, More Than One Thing, is out now, discussing how to have the career path of a polymath. At the heart of it though, Athena is someone with an incredible eye who brings together products in a space in a way that is hugely influential to how we think about design in homes, at living, etc. Her style is not particularly achievable. She lives in a four-story townhouse in Brooklyn, but her generosity of spirit, her kindness and her laid-back brand of polished cool makes her life feel more attainable than it is. And her ideas for placement and sourcing can be employed by anyone. This is the final episode of Home Truths in season one, though I'll be back in just a few weeks with season two, so don't forget to subscribe. And if you missed any of the previous episodes, of course they're still up there waiting to be downloaded. And stay tuned at the end of this episode, as I have a short interview with Hannah Thistlethwaite, senior buyer for textiles at Heels, which will be really useful for anyone trying to grow their brand. Anyway, back to Athena. And before this episode, she gave me five milestones from her career, which she thinks were key moments. And in explaining the stories behind them, she's going to tell us how she got to where she is today, beginning with when she first moved to the city. So when I I grew up in Long Island, New York, only around 30 minutes from New York City, but such a world away and a very sheltered suburban lifestyle where I I knew not much about design or culture or, you know, foreign foods. <laughs> I was pretty sheltered. Um, and I moved to Manhattan when I was 18 because I wanted to model and act. So my early 20s were just kind of navigating those worlds. I also studied dance in college. So I was a dancer as well. And I was kind of just figuring out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be. And I was going to college, but I wasn't really sure, you know, that that was the path that I wanted. So I just felt pretty unsettled and not grounded in any one particular career path, Um, which, you know, made me feel, what's the right word, maybe just less than or, you know, just um, flailing about, like I didn't have um, a straight and narrow path or a linear path. So um, I was also working in nightclubs as a bartender to pay my rent. And um, 
I ended up like in my 20, in my very early 20s, like 22, 23, I fell in love. I got married by the time I was 24 and had a baby by the time I was 26. And I hadn't really still figured out career. I was like studying method acting, which was like really intense, um, rip your soul out and, you know, tears all the time. Like it was a very intense method acting um program that I was in. And once I got pregnant and I had this like beautiful family and I was traveling around the world with my husband, who's like an international tech house DJ, I had this like baby on my hip and I was just like full of life and full of travel and culture and absorbing so much um, new foods and new environments and architecture and design. And I was just like a sponge absorbing all of it. Did you feel a little bit like you suddenly had a bit more purpose then? Because I know from personal experience that when I'm like lack of direction is never great for my soul. And I always feel like I'm floundering a bit if I don't know what I'm doing. And it sounds a little bit like you were sort of trying lots of things out at this time. But maybe being a parent gave you some some grounding, do you think? It did. I absolutely, I was not judging myself for the first time in my life and I was not feeling as though I should be doing something else. I felt um, really at one with my heart and with my family and with this, you know, new, new life that I was leading that was filled with so much love and so much joy instead of um, doubt. And that felt amazing. But I also felt really isolated. Not many, very many friends in their 20s had children. Um, and Victor was traveling a lot and, and away often. And sometimes we went with him, but sometimes I was just home alone. And um, it was also really challenging at times because I still felt like, okay, what what am I? Yes, I'm a mom. And yes, that is kind of my gold right now. But I know I have so much more inside of me and I just don't know where to focus my attention or even how to find the time because I, you know, I didn't have help as a young mom. I didn't think I deserved it because I didn't, I wasn't working. So, um, yeah, I felt really isolated and in my head a lot. And that made me feel guilty because I was so happy. I had a beautiful home, a beautiful husband, a beautiful child. So it was a confusing time. I've heard about that before, this sort of paradise complex where you have everything that you think you want and you should, makes you feel like you should be happy. And then you feel dreadful because you're just not quite there. And, and I think it seems to me, looking at you from, from the viewpoint of 2020 and knowing what you've achieved now and what you've accomplished now, it seems to me that then there probably wasn't quite that outlet for you still at that point. You mentioned that you were sort of soaking up loads of you know, things when you were, were seeing things and traveling around the world. Can you remember anything that, anything that sort of particularly stuck out to you as inspirations or things that you were really moved by? Yeah, I can um, recall one summer that we were in Ibiza and in Greece and um, just this whole idea of like Mediterranean, like eating like fresh, crisp flavors and also um, like the idea of tapas in Spain. Like these are all things that I didn't know that much about, but also going to Marrakesh and like seeing the colors and the texture and the patina um, was something that was really new for me and something that really informed 
my sense of design and my love of, you know, still to this day, kind of like something that feels a little bit more gritty and undone. Did you think at this time that design could ever be a career option for you? Or was it still just something that you were just kind of enjoying and enjoying being part of? So I do remember coming home and just, you know, coloring my home with everything that I had just absorbed and and feeling the pride when I would invite people into my home and be able to kind of tell the tales of where it came from. And, um, that made me feel really proud. And for me, design is so much about the emotion and the storytelling still to this day. And I really believe that it started then. It was really one of my dear friends who was a designer who really encouraged me and said, you know, Athena, you have a very specific point of view with design. I, I really think that this should be something that you pursue. And, um, you know, I never formally studied design, but I did go to Parsons and, and take a few design classes. And then I interned at a few small interior design firms. And um, that was kind of when I began to start taking it seriously. But, uh, you know, simultaneously, I was also really intrigued by cooking and um, entertaining. And it was always, it wasn't ever design or food. It was always the home and whatever falls under the umbrella of the home was what I felt like I was beginning to master or beginning to experiment with and gain confidence in and take risks in. It, was, it wasn't ever one or the other. They were always synonymous. Well, I mean, I think the two things really are synonymous. And I think it's, it's quite rare for people to appreciate that. You know, I always think of what we do as, you know, what to serve and how to serve it. So it's like what to cook but also like what plate to put it on and what table to eat it off and what kind of room to be in and that whole ambience you, you can create with food and design. I think you kind of bring that together so perfectly um, in this Thank little you. bubble and this little capsule. But I want to ask you a bit about what it was like to intern for design firms because I believe you were, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s when you were interning and I, I can't picture you running out to get coffee at that time. <laughs> no, I wasn't running out to get coffee but I was going up to the D&D building in New York City and beginning to source fabrics and start to understand what mohair was and, you know, what a silk velvet was and I was just, I, I didn't, I love discovering something new and, you know, I think that one of the things I'm most proud of is that I have kind of ping-ponged about in so many different creative realms that I, I've learned so much about so many different, you know, creative verticals that um, it just feels fascinating to not know, be nervous and not know anything about, you know, sourcing fabric and, you know, selecting fabric for clients. And then, you know, just, and that's what, that's what my early thirties was all about. It was just, it was learning and growth and expanding and challenging myself and, um, so yeah, I wasn't running around going and getting, I was just like sitting, I was sitting in design meetings and, you know, watching, uh, learning, under, learning and understanding how to like place an order properly and, you know, follow up with, you know, furniture vendors and, you know, it was more of that kind of thing. The real kind of hard nuts and bolts stuff that we don't see on Instagram. It's like the real actually doing of, of design. <laughs> yes. Not the, not the glossy part and not, the, not the fun part, but you know, the, an essential part. And then I want to talk about your your home in the Hamptons because that was the first milestone that you picked as an important part of your career. And I just want to know, first of all, what was it like when you when you first got it before you redesigned it? Well, we I had known that I really wanted a mid century modern home. I've always been attracted to those clean lines and um, you know a 
glass box and by the beach. And those don't really exist in um, the east end of Long Island in the Hamptons. Um, and we were, my husband and I were searching and searching like for almost two years and they just didn't exist. And we happened, we were fed up and we weren't going to look at this one particular home because it was priced so unbelievably low. And um, my husband was like, there's gotta be a catch. Like what's wrong with this house? And I convinced him to go and we went to see it. And he's almost more of a skeptic. Like I can try to, you know, force something to happen, but he walked in and just like, I remember him whispering in my ear, like, this is it. <laughs> and, um, it was completely overgrown with trees that had not been trimmed since the 1960s. When you were in the house, it was actually like damp and sweating because no sunlight was getting to it. And um, it was just like wet and dank and um, hadn't really been touched since the 1960s. And there was actually like black mold growing and there were leaks in the roof. Like it was really uncared for. Um, there was actually a dead deer in the pool. We didn't find out until the closing. They were like, well, what do you plan to do with the pool? And we were like, oh, well, we're going to drain it and resurface it. And they were like, oh, thank God, because there's a dead deer in the pool. And that made it all the more exciting, you know, to, to, um, you know, oversee this renovation. And I, I'd never done a home before. And prior to that, I'd always worked with my um, my mentor who became my design business partner, who was the one that originally encouraged me to get into design. And this was the first time I was kind of out there on my own without him and working with um, an, a local architect, um, Paul Massey from Beats Massey Architecture, who was my neighbor at the time and who I didn't know anything about, but I, you know, met with him and, and, and we worked together to bring this house back to life. And, um, I mean, we didn't really change much of the architecture at all, but we did, it was a gut renovation. We brought everything down to the studs and, you know, redid the ceiling and floors and all the doors and windows. And, um, you know, for the most part, like I said, the, those incredible Claire story windows at the, in the great room were already there, but all of the, the doors um, in the home were seven foot doors that we, you know, brought up to nine foot. So we just kind of took what was already there and amplified it. Did you feel like you knew what you were doing or was it kind of taking every moment step by step and day by day with it? Did it feel like you were in control of it all? I felt like I had this, this path that was, I was following based on my travel. Like I can pinpoint exactly where I was in Mykonos that inspired the color palette for the kitchen of like the union of the Basaltina stone with, you know, the reclaimed wood. Like I, I really took all of my travel and everything I had experienced up until that moment and funneled it into that house. So I, I, I had a clear path somehow. I mean, I, you know, I, I let, Paul and the architectural team like really lead the renovation process. But as far as like materials and decor, I did feel really clear that I knew I didn't want to put mid-century modern furniture in a mid-century modern home. I knew I wanted to kind of turn it on its side and do something that was unexpected and bring a little bit more grit and warmth and, um, you know, a mix of, of periods and styles that would, you know, take down that what could potentially be a very austere, you know, slick space. And how did it sort of affect your career? Um, I, I've heard you talk about how it sort of lit a fire under you. 
Well, the house was published pretty early on, and that was a huge moment of pride for myself and accomplishment. And um, that too was a process I knew nothing about, you know. Um, and that, yeah, how did that happen? Um, a friend, a friend of mine was kind of a, an assistant editor or a freelance editor, and um, I guess presented it based on you know snapshots that I sent her. It was just it just happened to be this like moment in time where I was being a little bit more social because I, I like I said I was kind of isolated prior to that, and and that house in particular, it was like this breathing ground for so much that is happening in my life today. It was where I started to entertain more. It was where I became more social. It was when I was cooking more. And I was both sharing design tips with these newfound friends and also sharing recipes. And it was really where I I found, okay, maybe I have something to say. I have a point of view. I have experience and something that, you know, is being received by people. And um, it, it just gave me a boost of confidence in every arena of my life. And this was relatively recently, I believe. Was it 2012, were we talking? It was 2012, yeah. 2012. And this is around the same time that you launched Icewoon as well. Um, yes. Can you tell me what, a bit about what was going on as you were setting it up and, and sort of what your, what your desires were for it or why you, how you came to set it up? Sure. I... Um, I had been, it was our first summer in the Hamptons. I'd met all these new people, like I was saying, and I was just so happy and in nature and we were learning how to surf. And it was just like this vibrant, exciting summer. And then the fall rolled around and we went back to to Brooklyn and I felt this very like, wah, wah, like sadness again, because I, I was like, I don't have a project. I was working on this house for, you know, a solid year. And then I got to experience what that life was and, And then I didn't have a project and um, I I was worried that I would like fall into a depression almost. And I just started to share some of those recipes that friends, uh, recipes and the design tips, like some of the specific things that I was learning in the places that I was finding these incredible, you know, industrial antiques. And um, I just started writing for friends. Like I've always loved to write and I've always loved to take pictures, but I'd never considered myself a writer and I never considered myself a photographer, but I was doing it for friends. It was like my photography was all blurry and the images were like overly saturated and, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but again, I have to like reiterate like so much, like when I was in this process of learning, I, I think Growing up, I I wasn't a good student and I really didn't like school and I felt really stupid and like uh, unaccomplished. And so I think that I always had this wound that I wasn't a great learner. So I did feel that suddenly there were these moments in my life where I was like really learning something new and just felt so empowered by it and so committed to it. And I thought maybe I didn't have that level of focus and commitment for so many years. So I do think that like all of a sudden I was learning, you know, once I did learn WordPress and I was learning how to shoot on a DSLR camera on manual and, you know, I was learning more about like how to properly, you know, write and storytelling. So there was just, you know, this burst of energy of growth. Um, and I was working harder than I ever had. And I was staying up late and I just like, I just felt this sense of, 
of self that was non-existent prior to that. When did it go from being something that you were just doing for your friends into being this sort of full-time endeavor, which you have to keep feeding and you have to keep putting new stuff onto? And how did that feel? Yeah, I mean, that was really overwhelming because it did take off pretty quickly. I, I um, you know, Instagram was just taking off as well. And yeah, I was learning so much about my my eye and my point of view and, you know, how I wanted to visually storytell. And um, I, I, I was just talking to everybody that I could possibly could about potentially getting a manager to kind of help monetize the site. I mean, it was a good two years before I was monetizing anything at all. And yeah, it just kind of started to click where I got somebody that I used to practice yoga with was actually... Um, started an agency and like they took me on and, you know, slowly I just started to start to do like kind of creative direction and work with brands. And, and that's, um, that's kind of how it took off. I wonder because you had talked or I've heard you talk before about how at one point you actually asked a friend of yours to do it with you, your friend Tally. And she said, no, and that's fine. And you kind of did it yourself. I wonder looking back now, if you're glad that she said no, because it meant that it could just be your thing. Yeah, I'm I'm incredibly proud of what I've built because it really does feel authentically like myself. And I look back and I realize now that nobody else could have done it how I did it. And I needed I needed that fear. And and I've learned so much about myself that that fear used to debilitate me and it used to stop me in my tracks. And and I learned through the, through the process of ISOON. I learned how to persevere. I learned how to push through my uncertainties. And I would always put off writing because, again, I thought I wasn't a good writer. And and then all of a sudden I would like find that hook, line and sinker about, you know, how I wanted to tell a story. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I can't stop writing. But I, I always knew when I sat down I was going to have that like bit of insecurity creep up and tell me that I can't do it. And I won't, you know, it's not going to, nobody's going to read this. You have nothing to say. Like the Although, you know, I really did have a lot of insecurity around um, so much of what I was doing and it was just pushing through that fear um, and doing it independently and on my own. Is the way to push through the fear for you, is it just sitting down and getting on with it or do you have a little routine or technique that you use to get through it? I mean, now I have like rituals and techniques about, you know, when I'm feeling, now that I'm older, you know, like I have a meditation practice and I love to set intentions and, you know, but back then though, I just like would force myself to do it and I would procrastinate until the very last minute and, and then feel really good about it. But yeah, I would, I didn't have a process back then. I I really, and everything still like I'm, it might not seem that way because I do think that the, the um, end result of what I produce and what I create is, you know, beautifully uh, curated, but everything behind the scenes is pretty much a mess. (laughs) I I really don't believe that at all. I just can't picture it. (laughs) (laughs) there isn't really like a lot of form and order and protocol it just kind of magically comes together in a you know a heap of excitement and last minute-ness do you even have like a do you have a content plan do you have you must have I'm sure an overarching thing you're like right I need to do a food story today or you know I need to do something on design today or or did was it just organic about things that you just happen to be into and happen to be seeing no, it was always organic and it still is. I don't have a content calendar. I don't plan out posts in advance. I mean, of course, if I'm doing something for a brand that is, you know, a job, 
of course, there's certain deliverables that need to go up on certain days, but I, I don't have anybody pulling images from an image catalog and, you know, pre-writing posts. Like everything happens in real time. I just want to interrupt this conversation to tell you about the Lars Bedroom Furniture by Says Who at Heels. Founded in 2010 by Casper Melgard and Nicola Douve, Says Who's aesthetic is rooted in the traditions of Scandinavian design, constantly inspired by the atmosphere and sea view that surrounds its Danish studio. Offering simplicity and refinement, and comprising a double and king size bed, wardrobe, bedside table, and three choices of drawer units, the range is characterised by minimalist design and supreme functionality, making it the go to addition for any chic modern bedroom. Exclusive to heels, Lars features integrated solid walnut leg plinths and is carefully designed with fine groove detailing and solid wood lips. The pairing of deep walnut tones with a matte grey painted finish gives each piece a cool and contemporary timeless appeal. Seek it out in Heels stores or at heels.com. Heels, design that lasts a lifetime. And then this led to your next milestone, which is the publication of the book Cook Beautiful, um, which is recipes and storytelling in your own style. Um, You went back to culinary school to write this. Is that right? I've pretty much always been self-taught in everything that I do. But then once I get to a certain point, I think it's almost like a checks and balance thing for me in some way that like I want to prove to myself that I actually have talent. (laughs) And when I signed, it was a two book deal from the get go with Abrams. The deal that I had was the first one would be a cookbook and the second one would be a design book. And, And I felt really proud of that because I felt seen by them that it wasn't just one or the other, that they did work in tandem. So um, when I got my advance, I thought I need to invest in myself. And um, I decided at that point to go to culinary school. And um, I mean, it was a, I think it was a 200 hour technique course. It wasn't like a full degree, but um, I'm really glad that I did it because if I, if I would never have, I would always think what if, but it was a very traditional French program and I don't cook that way. I mean, yes, I learned technique, but I also learned that I I knew a lot more than I gave myself credit for. During the, you know, the the pulling together of Cook Beautiful, you felt like you sort of took a step back and I in terms of the art direction and the styling and I what surprised me about that from an outsider's point of view is at the time, you know, the book came to you because it because of you, because of what you had been doing on on Ice Wound. And so it surprised me that perhaps you didn't have necessarily all the confidence you wish you had at the time to put your vision forward. Yeah, I mean, it was the the book was my vision, 1000% my vision. The thing was that that I was I never I never developed I maybe I didn't have the confidence to do it all on my own because at first they wanted me to do the photography, the food styling, the prop styling, the recipe development all on my own. And I felt as though that I, I, I came to this space in my career where I wanted to begin collaborating with people. I didn't want it to just be myself alone in the kitchen anymore. That was isolating and reminiscent of, you know, when I was home alone with my son, like I knew that I wanted to be in the book. I knew that I wanted to address, you know, the entertaining and the tablescaping. I knew that um, I wanted family and lifestyle, but I also knew that I wanted to like be over the shoulder of the photographer and, you know, like, I don't know. I, I knew I could. I couldn't be in too many places at once. And um, 
I don't know. I don't know why I felt as though I couldn't do it alone or I didn't want to do it alone, but, but I did. I knew I wanted a team. And then once I hired that team, it was like, careful what you wish for because I, I hired an impeccable team, but I got really quiet on set. Like I didn't, I knew what I wanted in my mind. I was just like, Oh, I don't know if I like that napkin. And I don't think that that color is right for me, but I felt myself getting small and not articulating myself and being passive aggressive. And, you know, instead of just being realizing like, this is my book and I've put so much time and effort into developing the recipes. And, you know, I had all these, every single recipe had like image folders of, you know, what I wanted the pan to be and what I wanted the linen to be. Like I put so much research before we got on set into what I wanted it to look and feel like. But on set, I I got quiet. And um, it wasn't until I got not quiet that it really became what exactly what I wanted it to be. And did the um, sort of office of work that you were getting at that time, did they start to change? I mean, I know you were doing branded things, but what sort of other, I mean, you, you've always been a, a polymath, but what sort of things were you working on generally around this time? Um, I was working with everything from like a wine brand. Like I loved that um, I was being hired to work on things that would really dive into the DNA of a brand and turn it into some sort of visual expression. So I loved that I was getting to style through the lens, but I was also getting to create, you know, a recipe to pair with a wine. And I, I, you know, and even like I was working with beauty brands a lot. And, you know, I remember this one, I was working with DKNY and it was for a fragrance. And I, you know, I remember feeling it was such a creative outlet for me to kind of dive into the, the notes of a, of a scent and turn that into something visual. So, you know, this particular scent had like black cherry and chocolate. Um, and, you know, to be able to start to connect, you know, food and styling and composition and to design into anything that I did, into telling this visual narrative, whether it was for a wine company or, a, you know, a, a, a fragrance beauty brand and still making it feel relevant to, to me and my point of view. I wonder if you could possibly distill the essence of what you think it is that people respond to you about, because people flock to you. You know, you've got so many Instagram followers. People love your, your work and your style. I wonder if you are able to put your finger on why you think that is. I mean, I think that I think I have exceptionally high standards for myself. And I find that there is this common thread through everything that I do, whether it's like how I dress with fashion or how I play with flavors or how I style and design my homes, that there's this constant kind of friction. And um, whether that be, you know, polarizing tones or flavors or, um, something never feeling one noted. I think that there's um, a visual stamp and statement to whether it's like the the palette or the contrast, but I think that there's been a, a, a specific aesthetic that carries through to everything that I do. And I didn't realize that in the beginning, but I do feel that way now. Well, that brings me on beautifully to your next milestone, which is the renovation of your Brooklyn home, which, you know, we had on the cover of Living Etc. earlier this year, 
Can you just tell me a little bit about what the experience of putting that house together was like and perhaps how it was different from from when you did your Hamptons one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really felt as though this was like my my masterpiece. I'd always wanted a townhouse. My We'd always lived in lofts prior. My husband never wanted a townhouse. And we were seeking and searching for one that had very specific standards. Like it had to be very wide. It had to have nat- a lot of natural light and be south-facing. Um, and we ended up finding this house. It was broken up into four apartments and there were tenants on every floor who had been there for years. And everyone told us not to buy it because it was such a risk. People wouldn't leave. And we, that's the only reason we were able to afford it. And we bought it. And um, I was so excited to kind of smash together this modern way that we like to live, but with this historical, traditional details um, and, and, you know, diving into the, the research of what, you know, uh, Greek late 1800s Greek revival homes were like and bringing certain things back to life that were stripped down. Um, it was so scary, <laughs> but I was yearning to be scared, but I, and I was yearning to do something I'd never done before. And I poured into every last detail of this home. I feel like every bit of it is me. Um, I loved the research um, of the, the, the history. I loved, you know, seeking and finding every last antique that's in that or vintage piece that's in that home. I would say like 85 to 90% of the home is, is vintage. Um, I loved designing the kitchen and really um, making sure it suited my needs for how I how I work and making sure that it had the natural light that I needed for you know food photography and videography. Um, it was something that was um, so thrilling and and scary at once. What we love about it, a living etc., is just how effortless it looks. And clearly, from hearing you talk, it wasn't effortless to pull together. But your, what I think you have is you have, or what 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 comes across is you have this eye that you can just sort of curate objects and bring them together, and they just seem very natural. I wonder if that's something that you think does come easily to you, or whether you do spend hours and hours and hours researching, researching, looking for the perfect lamp, the perfect objet to pull together. I don't settle. I think that I have a lot of restraint when it comes to design. I, I'm, I have no patience, but at the same time, I won't. I will seek and seek and search and dive down that rabbit hole of discovery until something hits me in the heart that is like, you know, my whole stomach goes pitter patter, and I know that that's it. Like I, I really trust my gut and intuition with pieces, and I'm not afraid to kind of alter pieces or buy something that I don't even know where it's going to go. But if it speaks to me, I trust that it will find its rightful place. Um, but I also love like atypical compositions and, you know, making sure that I engage negative space and making sure that your eye kind of moves about the space and lands on certain things that are unexpected and causes intrigue and curiosity. I, I don't like the expected. I like to do things that are a little, I don't know, that, that I haven't seen before, I guess. Do you have a favorite starting point to when you're looking for, for, for things like for, for furniture or for, for accessories, or do you just sort of cast your net quite wide and see what comes in? I mean, I usually always start with, you know, 
key, like I think keywords are really important when you're, especially if you're looking online. Um, but you know, if I know I'm looking for a sideboard or a credenza, I'll, I'll I won't put in something so specific, but I, I think that I was doing a lot of like 18th century. I was trying to find things that like had some sort of story to tell. And, and I do think that that's what makes my homes feel kind of lived in is that like I'm carrying on some unknown story, like breathing new life into something that has like this rich unknown history. So I think that the, that grit is, is always apparent in, in my homes. I love the fact that you basically have the same internet as the rest of us. So it makes it feel like we could all be getting what you're saying. <laughs> if only we spent the time. I do spend a lot of time. I mean, when, when I finished that home, I was like, oh my gosh, I have so many hours to, you know, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> do you feel, because obviously that house has been very well received and has been on, on the cover of Living Etc. in the UK. And I know it's been in, you know, in, on, in other magazines around the world. And, and I wonder if that has changed perception of you or has it must have given you some kind of growth around the world I'm sure I definitely felt like it was another moment in my life that I was on this precipice of change that um suddenly I mean it it went it exploded on both Instagram and on Pinterest and it really brought a lot of a lot more eyeballs to me and I remember at the time not struggling but in my own warped version of struggling saying like, I don't know what people want from me. Like I, you know, I, I post something, you know, a food shot that I think is going to be really well received and it wouldn't be. And I felt like once that house came out and once those images started circulating and once I started posting and sharing about my process, um, that that's, I was like, Oh, finally, like, I know what people want from me. I think people want design for me more than anything. And I think it's because I, I reveal my process and not um, kind of stingy and hoarding information. I, I really, I'm a sharer. Well, I think that really comes across in Live Beautiful, your most recent book that came out at the start of this year, because you really do talk about sort of the algorithms of bringing a room together and what you, you do and what you think about. I think that really is so enlightening and, and educational for any reader. Yeah, I really, I wanted... I wanted the book to be actionable, that people can walk away feeling empowered as though that they might not be able to have a home like Nate Burkus's home, but they can kind of distill and understand what the principles at play were in how he was deciding to, you know, place certain elements and objects in a space. You've talked before about this period in your life you know with the finishing the house and it being sort of recognized and, and then obviously uh live beautiful coming out is is the moment that you're sort of been finding your power um I wonder if you had any advice for people to find their power or or if you had any anything you could share about your journey to finding your own power that you think people might find useful I mean I, I will say that I placed so much judgment on myself for so long like this living in this um way of feeling shame a little bit for not having a, a linear career path and not, and, you know, I have, to, I'm going to be completely frank that sometimes still I get tripped up about like, well, I'm not really an interior designer and I'm not really a chef. And when I sit at a dinner table and at, you know, an event and somebody says, well, what do you do? Like, it's still, I still get tripped up over like how to answer that. So I guess me stepping into my power is me embracing 
the unorthodox path that I've taken. And when I am in my power, it's when I'm tapping into not what other people want from me, but it's what I love to do without judging myself, without thinking how other people judge me. But it's just, you know, when I'm on set and styling my kitchen for a photo, um, whether it's for a brand or whether it's just for myself and my own joy, or it's not even for a photo, it's just like, you know, I got new glassware and I want to style it. Like when I'm in this space of creation, and also I've found that when I'm in this space of, of sharing and helping other people find their innate you know, point of view and their aesthetic, um, that makes me feel powerful because I'm doing what I love without judgment. Athena, I have a question to ask you, which I've asked all my guests and I always find really fascinating. Have you ever had a master plan? And if so, how close are you to it right now? I've never had a master plan. And it's so funny because I like had this moment like a few weeks ago where I was sitting with somebody just saying like, I don't know. I have to stop comparing myself to other people. And they were like, Athena, what's your North star? You need to figure out what your North star is. And once you have your North star, you're, when you get an opportunity that doesn't, you know, bring you and align with that North star, you won't care about saying no to it or not being invited to such and such. And I was just like, yeah, I need to figure out my North, North star. But then I was like, but then I was like, but I've never had, I've never had a North Star and I've just been allowing this to unfold beautifully and organically. But I, I do think that I need to set an intention for what's next. So um, my master plan is, is getting sorted currently. <laughs> We're going to move on to the last section of the podcast now, the home truth section, which is quick fire, the quick fire round. Um, so can I just ask you, what was the last piece of homeware that you bought? Oh, I bought these beautiful crystal um, double old fashioned glasses for me to sip on tequila. <laughs> Where were they from? Um, I got them from Saks, but uh, I think it's a I think it's a British designer, Richard Brendan, maybe. Okay. Do you have a favorite dish to cook at the moment? Oh yes, I. It's all about summer tomatoes right now, and I have this um, sun gold summer tomato pasta that is spicy and lemony has like chili and lemon and shallots and just with a bucatini pasta, simple and flavorful and all I'm craving right now. What was the last book you read? Um, I read Mary Oliver poetry every single morning. I wake up, it's next to my bedside table. And lastly, where can people engage with you and your work? So I have a design site called athenacalderon.com and um, that is really where I share a lot um, of like my design work. But iSwoon is where I share both. iSwoon.com is where I share um, recipes and entertaining and also design. Um, and then I, I would say that uh, Instagram is probably my largest platform. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Athena. It's fascinating as ever to hear you talk. Thank you. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Pip. Thank you. Part of my hope for this series of Home Truths was that it might inspire people with young brands and help give them career advice for how to grow and evolve. And on that token, I thought it would be really interesting to hear from Hannah Thistlethwaite, who is a person many of you might want to know at Heels. So um, basically the kind of buying roles are split up into different categories. So you've kind of got cabinet and upholstery. Um, and I look after all the textile areas. So that's kind of rugs, bed linen, towels, cushions and throws. So anything, anything soft really is comes under my remit. 
it's really it starts from a kind of beginning point where you look at the look and feel so that's something that's developed across the buying team so kind of that will be colors or textures or patterns that we're kind of um feeling excited about or feeling that that's kind of a direction we're looking to go into um and you combine that really with a kind of strategic point of view so maybe you realize there's a gap in the market in outdoor rugs for example um and, and it's kind of really the combination of those two things um and at heels we do a certain proportion of own brand products so that is something where i'm developing products directly with a factory or a manufacturer um and the other proportion is working with you know new brands um finding exciting new designers to collaborate with so it's really a mix mix of those two either working directly with factories um or kind of finding new brands that we're excited about there are quite a few ways you can come across new designers you know generally we'll try and go to kind of grad shows and then there might be people that we kind of pick up and follow for a few years um we'll go to trade shows and design fairs um like most people kind of a fair amount of instagram stalking uh yeah that's that probably sums up and then we kind of we do a bit of travel, so we'll go to kind of Paris it, and see the kind of Maison Objet Fair, and then you'll go to little shops there and kind of see who's out and about. And if you want to catch her eye, don't be afraid to seek her out. I think it's probably not as hard as people think. Um, and often, you know, if there is a brand or a shop that you really like, you know, sending them in a letter or a uh, an email, if you can get hold of their email, you know, I think most buyers, are, if they have the time, will always respond and I'll, I'll often get something, even if it doesn't feel right to me. It's always interesting to see people, see what they're doing, um, see new talent. And, and even if it's not right for me, you know, I'll always try and reply um, because I know how hard it is to do something uh, and to kind of be out there creating. So I think just trying to find the contact or post something in and kind of get people to see what you're doing, that that's just... Yeah, just just try. Um, and I think generally people are kind of receptive. Her remit is pretty broad. It can be different things, really. There's two strands that are applied to a lot of products at Heels. And one is kind of just good design, which doesn't really go out of fashion. Um, so just someone who's doing something um, really interesting with a, maybe a traditional technique or, or just something that's incredibly classic, but well, well executed done using the best materials um so another core part of heels that kind of makes a product right for us is innovation and so we're always interested when you're seeing someone work with uh say a new material so when people started working with recycled plastic bottles and you could get such interesting yarns out of them so that was really interesting to me or yeah anything like that really sort of something that feels you know new and pushing boundaries um or something that's just really classic and, and well-designed and feels timeless. I hope you found that useful. And thank you so much for listening to the series of Home Truths. If you missed any of the earlier episodes, there are seven more, including interviews with people like Linda Baronke, Lee Brew, Yinka Elori, and Matthew Williamson that you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, because I'll be back with another season of Home Truths in just a few weeks' time. I've got some great guests lined up and you won't want to miss out. In the meantime, buy the latest issue of Living Etc. in the shops now. Follow us on Instagram at, at Living Etc. UK and follow me on at Pitt McCormack. See you soon.
This episode of Home Truths was sponsored by Heels, design that lasts a lifetime.